Hey Revive School, my name is Kyle Felke. Uh, this, is, this is actually lesson 43 and uh, today we're going to be talking about 1 Samuel 30 and 31. Um, I am from Indiana, I'm a pastor. I got involved with Revive Indiana um, from Northwest Indiana. Um, and today I'm just super excited about um, just kind of recapping a little bit of what happens uh, in your last reading yesterday and then moving forward. And then we're actually going to be ending 1 Samuel today. So. Um, you know, what's really interesting, Kyle shared yesterday about the story of um, Samuel, mostly Samuel uh, having to um, come and rebuke Saul. And Saul, um, he, he walks away from this experience of uh, pulling up Samuel as the, um, the one who bears the bad news of telling him that he's going to die. And then it slips over into uh, chapter 29 where David has his own experience. And in chapter 29... Um, he's going to have this dilemma that he's experiencing where he's saying, like, do I actually go against um, these, these, uh, these men of mine, these ones that I was anointed to lead, these Israelites, um, that I am in the Philistine camp, and they've asked me to come and fight against the Philistines. So in 29, what happens is that, um, you know, the Philistine men uh, actually see David, and they, they come to the king, and they're like, what in the world is David doing here? Like, you know the story of David. He's actually the one that they're singing stories about. Saul's killed his thousands. David's killed his ten thousands. Like, there's no way we're going to battle with this guy. He could turn on us at any moment. And, uh, and we're not putting ourselves in this position. And so what they do is they just tell him, like, you got to get rid of this guy. So, uh, the king of the Philistines comes to David and says, uh, bro, I got some bad news. <laughs> um, you sure he said bro? That he, he definitely said bro. He was like, uh, we're buddies. You're, 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 you're like an angel. Uh, I've, I've not found anything wrong with you. You've come in and gone out, and, and you've been like the glory came with you every time you entered the room. Uh, but you got to go. And, uh, and so him and his men, um, they, they turn around, and they, they walk away the next morning. And, uh, and I don't know about you, but um, sometimes when you have that surge of adrenaline and then you just get told, like, it's over, it's like, uh, what in the world just happened? The, the, the emotions and the, um, the chemicals that are running through your body, uh, when that gets pulled away, like, you almost feel weak, right? I don't know if you've ever experienced this. You guys, you guys probably in the peanut gallery, you, you've been there before? You hear bad news and then all of a sudden you're like, oh, wait, just kidding, <laughs> Yeah, so um, so this is what's going on with David and his men. They turn around and they go uh, go back home. And so we're going to pick up in 1 Samuel 30. Um, and here's what happens. 1 Samuel 30, David is heading home and uh, they came to Ziglag on the third day. And it says that the Amalekites had made a raid on Nagav on the, or, and on Ziglag and had overthrown Ziglag and burned it with fire. So they're walking up to their home, and all of a sudden, they, they see bad news. 
So they've got all this emotions that's going on. They've got all this, uh, these chemicals running through their body. Now they're like not having to deal with it. So they make their way home. They're processing why did they get kicked out uh, of the enemy camp, which is really interesting. The enemy has rejected them. They're walking home and then they experience that their homes are on fire. They actually experience like, how could this get any worse? Like, not only did we get kicked out of our enemy's camp, but now we come home and everything's on fire and they get closer and they see that their wives and their kids and everything that they have has been taken from them. And so I want to I wanna actually start in verse 4 and, and, and look at what this says in verse 4. And then David and the people who were with him lifted their voices and wept until there was no more strength to weep. So you have, you have David actually um, experiencing tons of emotions, tons of energy. He's, he's getting depleted uh, to the point, him and his men, to where it says they don't even have any more strength to weep. And so I just want to start to write this down. You have David and his people, and they get this bad news. And what happens is they actually start weeping. And in that weeping... They lose strength. So their loss of strength. And, and here's what's interesting is that if you go on uh, into verse 6, it says, Moreover, David was greatly distressed because the people had spoke of stoning him. And it says that the people were embittered, each one because of his sons and his daughters. But David strengthened himself in the Lord. So I want you to pause here for a moment. We see that uh, both David and the people are weeping and they lose strength. And then all of a sudden it says that David is even in greater distress because the people are speaking of stoning him. Now, if you've got to think about this for a moment, you've got to wonder, like, where, where are they going to find the strength to stone David if they can't even cry? Like, there's no, there's no strength in them and all of a sudden that they're getting this great idea of let's, let's kill the guy. That's going to take some energy because David has killed his 10,000s, right? They're, they're going up against this master warrior. And, and I just had this question when I was processing through this, like, where's this strength coming from? And it's really interesting because it, you actually see this break off here to where it says that the people, they're, they're strengthened, I believe, by their bitterness, But here's what it says is that, but David strengthened himself in the Lord. And so his strength comes from the Lord. So here's what happens. I start processing as I'm looking through this and I see that in verse 7, it says, um, and David said to Abiathar the priest, son of Ahimelech, please bring me the ephod. So Abiathar brought the ephod to David. Here's, here's where I think that David actually shifts everything for him and his men in the future of his, his entire leading and, and reigning as a king. Bitterness has a power that we don't really realize. Um, it actually can strengthen people in ways that they're unfamiliar. And if you look back, it says that they, they spoke of stoning David. And I believe that that strength, that embitterness that strengthened them came from their speech. Isn't that interesting? But yeah, it says that David, 
he strengthened himself in the Lord. And when he asks Abiathar, bring me the ephod, and he brings the ephod to him, he, David, starts to speak as well. But what he speaks is, is it, this comes over in verse 8, he says, he speaks to the Lord and he says, shall I bring up this band? Shall I overtake them? And the Lord said to him, pursue, for you will surely overtake and you will surely rescue all. I think that this is just an incredible opportunity for us to realize like the, the Lord actually has created us for victory's sake. But when the enemy uses things like bitterness, it can actually strengthen us to pursue the wrong thing. And so what happens here is that David actually seeks the Lord rather than seeking out the pain that's going on in his heart and how this emotion is actually leading him. It could have led him, like so many other opportunities throughout all of 1 Samuel, it could have led him to do the thing that he was not called to do. But instead it led him to actually pursue, overtake, and rescue all that had been taken from him. And, and you know, we've been talking about this in, in 1 Samuel. And as I'm reading through this, I'm actually thinking to myself, like, how does this have any parallel to Jesus? Like, what, what are the parallels that you see in Jesus? And so I, I started a process like David, the anointed one. We, let's just put in here Jesus. And for the people, let's just say the Jews. And I started to process this. Jesus actually steps on the scene as the anointed one. And he's dealing with a situation where, yeah, it is the Jews who have lost everything, uh, you know, when they were sent into exile. Um, you know, first of all, they're, they're sent into exile by the Assyrians, the Babylonians, then the Persians, and they're, they're now being ruled by the Romans. And, uh, and there's this weeping that actually is coming from the mouths of the Jews during Jesus' day. They're actually looking for a king to come and overthrow their enemy. And Jesus walks on the scene, and he actually is weeping too. But because he's not the king that they're supposing, he, he's actually trying to, uh, he's crying over something else. He's trying to rescue, pursue, overtake, and rescue what has been taken from his father. And so the weeping that the Jews are actually uh, crying over at their time is the Romans. And Jesus is actually crying out because of the loss of his people. Um, you know, what's, what's really interesting is that it says that David, uh, his two wives uh, were taken. And I think it's just really funny because Jesus looks at the church as what? Bride. His bride. So I'm just going to put in here that Jesus has actually lost his wife. So he's weeping over that. And then it says it, the loss of strength here, as, as we're looking at this parallel, um, the Jews are, are losing their strength and their ability to actually fight um, and, and keep the hope alive. And, and I really believe that there's, there's something to be said about that hopelessness can crush people. Hopelessness can actually crush uh, your, your hopes and dreams and, and your ability to move on. And, uh, and this loss of strength, I, I just picture Jesus when he's, when he's at the Mount, Mount of Olives. And I probably didn't spell that right. There looks like there should be an E in there, right? You got to think about his, his, his sweating these droplets of blood. Like he's actually to a point where he's going like, Father, what do I do? Like, do I, do I take this on? He actually talks, Jesus says, uh, you know, Father, if there's any other way to go about this, like, can we do it another way? But then the Father comes in and he speaks to him in this moment. But in this moment, Jesus is actually pursuing the Lord. And, and so I'm going to keep on moving on because I think that there's so much more richness as we uh, continue on in this passage. It says that after um, 
after David seeks the Lord and the Lord says, go uh, pursue, overtake, and rescue all, we get to verse 10 and it says, um, so David, so Dave, but David uh, pursued, he and the 400 men, and he, uh, 200 men uh, were too exhausted to cross the brook of Bezor, um, and they remained behind. And I want you to just uh, think about that. You're going you're gonna to continue to read this uh, word, the brook of Bezor, um, throughout the rest of this chapter. But we're going to move on here. So what it says is that he leaves these men behind. And, uh, and so David and his men walk on. Um, so what happens is they, as they're moving towards the Amalekites, and they come up to this man who has been left for dead. And he was a slave. And it says in their culture, uh, if, you, if you look back, um, the way that they would actually tend to people is they would, they would really care for the strength of their slaves as well as the older ones. But if you didn't have anything for them, they'll leave you dead. So this guy, this Egyptian, uh, who was actually a servant of the Amalekites, has been left for dead. And what David does is he strengthens him through food. And uh, he says, listen, um, we, we want to know, will you take us to the Amalekites. And the guy says, listen, if you don't kill me, um, I'll take you there. So they pursue on, um, and it says that they, they get to where the Amalekites are at. Um, let's just hop down to verse 16. I'll start reading from there. And when he had brought them down, behold, they were spread over the land eating and drinking, dancing, because all the great spoils that they had taken from the land of the Philistines and from the land of Judah. So you're seeing that uh, these Amalekites are just having a party. And David and his men, his 400 men, are walking up to this. And there's got to be some like new, new level of strength coming to them. Like we're, we've been told by the Lord, as, we've, as David has sought the Lord, that we're going to pursue, overtake, and overthrow. They've got this built-up, pent-up energy, frustration, anger, that they're coming to this battle with. And they're seeing these guys that are just like, they're, they're probably getting drunk. They're not even thinking about David and his men. Because they're supposed, David and his men are supposed to actually be fighting uh, the Israelites, right? So these guys are having a party. They walk up, the, David and his men walk up to this party that's being thrown. And it says in verse 17, it says, And David slaughtered them from twilight until evening of the next day, and not a man of them escaped except for 400 young men who, who rode on camels and fled. You know what? What's really interesting to me is I think about the anointed one. I think about David being the anointed one and how it correlates to Jesus. I can't help but think about uh, this whole thing of from twilight until evening the next day. So I want to ask you guys uh, in the peanut gallery, what do you think about when you see that twilight till evening the next day? I think it's a long time to fight being pretty tired. Yeah. that's a, that, I've never been in a battle that would last, you know, Nearly 24 hours, if not longer. What are some other like uh, historical things that you're thinking of, uh, scriptural things that you're thinking of when you see that twilight till evening the next day? I think about the Sabbath, how it's supposed to be from, you know, it's a 24-hour period, and it starts the night before. Night before. Yeah, totally. How about you, Tom? That was mine. Okay. All right. Well, here's what popped into my mind. I'm thinking about the passion. 
I'm actually thinking about the passion, the moment that Jesus is having his, his last supper with his disciples. And it says, and in that moment, the, uh, that Satan entered Judas. And from that time on, it was like game on. And so he, he, from that moment, he start, he goes back to the Mount of Olives and he starts this war. <laughs> he starts this war for what he's supposed to go and capture. And it goes from twilight until the next day where Jesus is, goes through the whole journey of, of actually um, being in front of Pilate and, and being in front of uh, the men who are going to, who are jeering like, crucify him, crucify him. He's on the cross. He's, he's spending the whole time fighting a war. And in Jesus' case, it looks like, you know, he, his, his time is over, like he lost the battle. But in this case, it says that um, David uh, slaughtered them from twilight until evening the next day, and not a man of them escaped except for 400 men who rode off on camels. And so what happens is uh, these, these men now, uh, verse 18, so David recovered all that the Amalekites had taken and rescued his two wives. I just pause there for a moment and I think, man, you know, like when Jesus is on the Mount of Olives and he says to his father, like, is there any other way? Is there any other way that I can actually do this, that I don't have to deal uh, with going to the cross? But his father says, you know, this, this is the way. And he goes, you know, not my will, but, but your will be done because I see the joy that's set before me. I will endure the cross. And so what he sees that is before him is that he's going to recover his wife. And so I, I see that uh, David is actually foreshadowing Jesus going and getting his wife back. Um, and actually, what's also interesting, if you go to verse 19, it says, But nothing of theirs was missing, whether small or great, sons or daughters, spoil or anything that had been taken from themselves. David brought it all back. I think about what what Jesus did. He restored us to the Father, but He actually restored everything. You know, yes, He got His wife back. The Father gets His sons and daughters back. Uh, but if you if you look back, it says in verse nineteen, uh, neither small nor great, nothing, nothing, nothing was missing. So I I, I find myself realizing that when I look at this picture of David. When I look at this picture of what he did in going and fighting this battle, uh, it looks very, very similar to Jesus. It looks like the same kind of transition period of David being rejected by man, but, but recovering everything because he sought the Lord and he did what the Lord actually desired for him to do. And so in this process, um, David recovers everything. And in verse uh, 20, let's, let's start in 22 or let's go to 20, 21, sorry. It says, Then David came to the 200 men who were too exhausted to follow David, who had also been left at the brook of Bezor. And they went out and met David and, the, and to meet the people who were with him. Then David approached the people and greeted them. Uh, I can't help but think about David approaching these men, the men who have been left at the brook of Bezor, and, and not think about how uh, Jacob has fought all night with the angel and has his name changed to Israel, but he has sent off uh, two bands of people before him to see how Esau is going to respond to him. And so I actually am, am seeing in my mind 
um, David approaching these men and the men coming out greeting him. And uh, probably now on the other side, the men wondering, how, how are they going to respond to us since we didn't, we didn't go and fight the battle? And what David says, uh, it, it says that he greets him. This is really interesting. Verse 22, check this out. It says, Then all the wicked and the worthless men among those who, were, who went with David said, Because they did not go out with us, uh, we will not give them any of the spoil that we've recovered except for every man, his wife, and his children, and that they may be led away and depart. And so what I, what I thought was really interesting about this is the first people that jump up to speak are the fools. They're actually the ones who are like, you know, so filled uh, with such uh, bitterness and anger that all their decision making is actually thinking selfish, selfishly and, and to uh, cast out uh, even their own family. So I, check this out. It says, because they did not go up with us, we will not give them any of the spoil that we have received. And so here's, here's what's crazy to me is you think about the people, as we referenced earlier, the people uh, weeping, loss of strength, bitterness. It turns them to the place where they think that they actually have the strength to go and be David. David is weeping, loss of strength. He actually starts to seek the Lord and he gets his strength from the Lord and he comes out of it from a different angle. He starts to lead the people forward. He starts to say, let's go and take everything that has been captured from us. The Lord actually is for us and not against us. And so as David goes forward and he leads these men, yes, the 200 stay behind, but the 400 that he leaves forward, he's, he's actually using some of their bitterness and he's directing it in another way. He's using their strength of bitterness and he's directing it in a way. And for for a lot of us, like we we kind of had this idea. We're, our desire is to actually lead really healthy people, <laughs> but too often we actually uh, we neglect to lead people who actually need our leading. If we've sought the Lord, it should be a strength for us to actually teach people how to walk out strength, not through bitterness, but through seeking the Lord. And so, what David does here is he allows what's going on in the hearts of those men. It comes forth first. And I'm sure that it's what those 200 men were expecting. Yeah, we're probably going to get our wives and our kids back, but we're going to get kicked out because we didn't go to battle. But then David says this. He says, you must not do so, my brothers, with what the Lord has given us, who has kept us and delivered us into the hands of the band that came against us. I think it's just uh, it's a critical moment for for David to actually show his leadership. He's actually saying it wasn't our fight. It was actually the Lord's fight. How did he get that? Like, to be honest with you, I think that that was the sign of selflessness that David exposed when he actually saw that it was because of the Lord. He got a strength from the Lord, and I'm going to give all the glory to the Lord. When we find our strength coming in bitterness, we're going to take all the accolades for any kind of victory that we win. And sometimes it's not even a healthy victory. It's not even the victory that we should desire to win. And so David says, listen, this is the Lord. He's the one that gave this to us. And it says, and who will listen to you, you men in this matter for this, for the share, for as his share is who goes into the battle, so shall the share be of those who stay in the, stay with the baggage that they shall share alike. I think that it's even interesting that David points out like, listen, these men have actually done something noteworthy. They've stayed with the baggage. They, they weren't just like worthless people. They actually protected what we did have left. 
And, and that's a, tri- a, a true sign of a leader is when you find issues going on, when you find failure going on, but you can actually lead people by saying, but I see this in you. I actually honor this in you. And everybody else should see the same thing. And, and you're going to get credit just like everybody else. It reminds me of, of Matthew 20. Uh, you know, when Jesus tells the parable of the man who goes out in the beginning of the morning and he, he says he, he buys land. He, he actually, uh, is, let, let me just read it. Matthew 20, uh, verse 1, it says, For the kingdom of heaven is like a landowner who went out early in the morning uh, to hire laborers for his vineyard. And uh, when he had agreed with the laborers for a denarii for the day, he sent out into the vineyard. Uh, and he went out and, uh, about the third hour, and he saw others standing there idle uh, in the marketplace. And to those he said, uh, you also go into the vineyard and whatever, I, whatever is right, I will give to you. And, and they, they went out. Verse 5, it says, again, he went out about the sixth hour and the ninth hour and he did the same thing. And about the twelfth hour, he went out and he found others standing around. And he said to them, why have you been standing here idle all day long? And they said to him, because no one has hired us. And he said to them, you go into the vineyard too. And when evening came, the landowner of the vineyard said to the foreman, Call the laborers out and pay them their wages, beginning with the last group to the first. And this last verse, And when those hired about the twelfth hour came, each one received a denarii. So they actually received the same thing that the ones who at the beginning did. And here David actually does the same thing. He says, Listen, those who stayed with the baggage are also going to get the same spoil as those who went out and fought the battle. So if we go back to 1 Samuel uh, 30, uh, I think it's in, in uh, if we go back to 1 Samuel 30, we see in, in verse 23, um, he says, You must not do so, my brothers, for whatever the Lord has given us, he has kept us and delivered into the hands of them who came against us. And who will listen to you in this matter? For uh, as his share who goes out in the battle, so shall she be the share of the one who stayed in the baggage. And then it, and then it says this, So it has been from, the day, from that day forward that he made it a statue and an ordinance uh, for Israel to this day. So what you see happen here is that David is actually establishing his type of, of leadership, that he's saying, like, everyone benefits from my kingdom. Like, everyone benefits from, from the battles that the Lord has given us and, and won. And I, I just think about Jesus. Like, everyone has benefited from him going to the cross. He had this battle that he went through. That we call it the passion story. Uh, we think about the night that he was betrayed all the way to the place of the crucifixion. And, and in that moment, uh, we see that Jesus actually recovers all and everyone receives the benefit from the kingdom. So, from that place, David actually says, listen, you guys get spoiled, but I'm also going to start giving it to the rest of those in Israel. And he starts handing out some of his spoil that the, that the Lord had given him from his enemies. He starts scattering it to his friends and others throughout Israel. And then it jumps into uh, verse or chapter 30, uh, 31. So in that same time that David is actually fighting this battle, you see Saul... Uh, losing a battle. And in Saul's battle, he, he loses the battle because of the issues that are going on in his heart. And the Lord actually 
hands over, he actually restores David, uh, restores to David what Saul has done. And it's just like the enemy. Uh, the enemy actually crucifies himself or kills himself, falls on his own sword by, by killing Jesus. What's really interesting is that Saul, he knows he's getting uh, pursued on all sides. And so he falls on his sword. The enemy, Satan, actually fell on his own sword the day that he crucified Jesus. And so I just think that this whole parallel is so beautiful and it really captures the picture of Jesus being the anointed one that, that pursued and overtake and recovered all um, that, was, that was stolen. He got his wife back, he got his kids back, and he got everything that was actually, that belonged to mankind that they lost in the garden. He comes back and he restores and then he gives it generously. We talk about that over and over again. It's a free gift. Like this, this message of the kingdom is a free gift and he freely gives it to all. And so I just love this picture of David. I love how he actually sought the Lord rather than allowing all of his pain to motivate him to do something. And, and I love how he changes not only the perspective of his people, but sets an ordinance that everyone's going to benefit from what the Lord has given to us. And so I just, uh, I want to, I want to encourage you as you continue to read, um, this passage. First uh, Samuel 30 and 31, and you move into Second Samuel, realize this, that David's victory in this moment was actually the catalyst or the catapult for him to actually move into his place of leading Israel. Uh, so thanks. Uh, I hope you have a great time reading, and uh, we look forward to seeing you uh, in, in Lesson 44.